1: hello friends welcome to unsiloed the show that busts the echo chambers if you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect if you like debate but love light not heat welcome home So interesting question you just posed a minute ago, which I think is a nice prelude to this episode. Um, And it's kind of a culture wars related episode because there's so much to talk about. But you made the point that with the November elections coming up, is it more about what people are voting for or what they're voting against? And the idea of which of those two positions in today's day and age actually garners the most kind of electoral activity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we got to that by way of a little bit of inspiration from an article that we read uh, by a guy named Kevin Drum. For those who don't know Kevin, Kevin is a liberal commentator. He actually wrote for Mother Jones for about 12 years. If you ever need liberal credentials, that's one, right, for Mother Jones for a dozen years. And then also uh, by a guy named David Shore, who is actually a socialist commentator. He's the head of data science at Open Labs, a progressive nonprofit. So they published this article. It says, if you hate the culture wars, blame liberals. (laughs) You know, as I joked with you, I think it's meaningful that, you know, you might see that as a Fox News headline, but when it comes from a guy from Mother Jones and from a socialist commentator, at the very least, it sort of adds to the readability of it, right? Mm -hmm. And the kind of nickel summary of this, but we can go through some of the graphs too, which I think are really fascinating. But the, the basic idea is this notion that since 1994, and there's a couple graphs that illustrate this. Democrats have moved left far more than Republicans have moved right. And that this has produced a lot of safe states in liberal places like California, in which we live, Massachusetts, etc. But it has steadily pulled Democrats farther and farther away from median states like Iowa and Ohio and and Ohio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's funny. And then these kind of more recent academic theories on racism, CRT, etc. And maybe the whole movement in general that has now been defined as woke, both by maybe more so now by people who are opposed to it than people who are for it, in general has turned off a lot of voters of color, moderate black and Hispanic voters. And it's also uh, been exacerbated by what is viewed as a dismissal of crime and safety issues, right? With particularly Latinos moving more in the direction of uh, you know Republican and conservative uh, parties, so the the thesis of the paper is that Democrats are going to remain on a basically knife edge forever, unless they can pull themselves back toward the center. And as a way to illustrate this, there's two charts Jesus, in the in the doc in the mm-hmm. article which we've read, one of which m- uh, measures changes in public attitude since the year 2000, and it. it it's not a perfect chart by any stretch of the imagination, and you're going to tell us why it's not. But, uh, <laughs> but <clears throat> it indicates, at the very least, change. If if not alignment or disagreement or agreement with a position, it indicates change. And it basically positions the fact that there's been, generally speaking, more change on issues like same-sex marriage, immigration, taxes, abortion, religion, and guns – among democrat uh, constituents than among republican constituents. So it's a, it's a way to make that case that there's been more movement on that side of the fence. And then there's another chart which I find fascinating. You weren't as impressed by it as I was, but mm-hmm. which basically shows over the last 25 plus years what used to be an overlapping kind of democrat and republican partisanship or political attitudes with a big kind of centerpiece in the middle where people, you know, presumably met, right? The kind of the the, the the moderate middle, let's call it that. And then right. over the last 25 years, how that moderate middle has been basically chipped away. And now we have these two kind of mountains of blue and red that are increasingly farther apart from each other. So it's a very interesting point of view. The reason I thought it'd be interesting to talk about is because we've talked about this kind of like, hey, has, has everybody have the Republicans moved more right? And you've made some excellent points about, hey, there there just seems to be a lot more cohesion among the Republican Party around Mm -hmm. certain issues. So they're much more aligned. There's much more diversity in Democratic Party, et cetera. But this idea of looking at like who's moved more, has it been Democrats moving more left or Republicans moving more right? And this piece, again, seems to indicate the latter, right, that Democrats uh, have moved more to the left than Republicans have moved to the right over the last 20 or so years. So that's the setup, Jesus. Take it away, and I'll come back in forty-five minutes. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I think it, was, it, was, it is really
2: interesting data. And these whole pieces, when we like this, like whose fault is it? Uh, it always kind of cracks me up. But um, but it, it is an interesting data set. One of, one of the ones that we looked at was well, part of how they they got to their assessment that is actually uh, Democrats that have basically become like more the problem is they had uh, some stats here that looked at changes in public attitudes since 2000, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like the share of partisan adopting more partisan views, right? It looked at how Republicans and Democrats were. So when you look at this data, basically the higher the percentage is, positive number, the more partisan that view is, the more negative number, the less partisan that view has become, right? right. So, And this was interesting to me. Maybe a little bit more than the other ones because it actually broke it out by different uh, issues, right? Issues, you know. So one of the first ones that he looked at that I thought was interesting is the whole idea around same-sex marriage, right? And now, in terms of same-sex matter, marriage, according to this data, showed that there had been a net increase in partisan views by Democrats by plus 30%. It's pretty, you know, pretty large increase. That means that their views around same-sex marriage have become more and more partisan, right? kind of in support of at the same time since 2000 there seems to be a negative decrease of 40 percent by republicans against the issue of same-sex marriage now and we kind of like even you and i were reading it we're looking at it we kind of had to like rethink it real quick okay what does that actually mean what is it saying what is what is it actually saying does it mean that their attitudes are further away from each other and and really we're looking at it i think the conclusion that we came to was like no it actually means that in both cases both of them are probably coming a little bit closer together because this is a position that traditionally republicans held and especially conservatives held you know for for a while around being in many cases against same-sex marriage and those attitudes in general for the country people have just become a lot more accepting of that i would say in yeah. general right so that's why you see this decrease in uh in partisanship well but, but then when you look at across all the other categories it is interesting that in almost in all cases there is no decrease With the exception of taxes, funny enough. Yeah. Taxes, you do see about a 10%, give or take, decrease in partisanship by Republicans around taxes. But in every other category, Democrats have become, at least according to this data, more partisan in their views. Uh, Same-sex, immigration,
1: taxes, abortion, religion, and guns, It also follows what you said a moment ago about, like, the uh, negative—the decrease in partisanship— Actually means that the parties are closer together because it follows. If I'm conservative and I'm becoming less conservative in an issue, right? Even if you're becoming more liberal, we're both headed in the same direction. Right. You're, you're Right, right. You're trending in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. Cor- correct. It is interesting, though, that for
2: Democrats to become more partisan against ta- uh, on taxes, I don't know what that means. This is what I would love to see. What that data? What was the actual uh, of question? Course. Right. Yeah. That they're asking, but it, it, but it is interesting. Now, the one thing this doesn't address, which you and I talked about, is that these are. While it has it as a change, right? What is a partisan change? It it doesn't necessarily address where people are beginning from, like what the starting point is, some of some of these things, right? So that part is actually not not well addressed. But the but the three categories, or the yeah, the two categories that um, were both or three that both had. Republicans becoming more partisan and Democrats becoming more partisan were immigration, although by a lot more uh,
1: partisan uh, Democrats than than Republicans. That kind of a slight increase. But break that down for a second, though. What would it mean to become more partisan in the subject of immigration?
2: Yeah, I think think in this case, it would mean uh, specifically people having, I would think in the context of Republicans, having a more partisan view is having a more anti-immigration stance. So you saw an increase of what looking at here, it looks like maybe 5%. Uh, versus an increase in partisanship by Democrats being a plus thirty percent. So let's take extreme views.
1: Sure. This is like yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: no one can get in, everyone can get in, right? right. Think of it. Those, those and extremes. both
1: of those have grown according to this. And chart. both of
2: them grown. The everyone can get in, grown a lot more than no one can get in, right? Now the once again, but this is a case where we know that historically Republicans. Have, this is actually one of the issues that has hurt Republicans with especially Latino vote for a long time. Is it right. was so anti immigration. Although funny enough, quick side story is that we were having a political conversation with my parents the other day, and my Ooh, mom fun. remembers like very fondly President Reagan. Sure, right because he's the one that that uh, instituted amnesty that mm-hmm. allowed for a lot of people, including my parents or my mom specifically, to be able to um, get uh, get residency in the U.S. Yep, right because of that effort. So this is a Republican president, right? So. That's something that you kind of you know keep in mind. And very right?
1: conservative president too. And very
2: yeah, very conservative. I know. I, I don't know if I will put it in the. I mean, the, the, I would. The problem is that so much of it has changed. I mean, this is this is the part where if want to start picking on this on this. Uh, what I mean analysis, by let me
1: let me define it. What I mean by conservative would be in general advocating policies and having personal positions to limit the size of government. Yeah. Strengthening the military believing in advocating for family values uh faith as being important um, you know patriotism things like that
2: yeah 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 the 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 part that i do find interesting uh, is the whole economic focus of what has been historically the the sort of the the, the platform of the republican party i just don't think it's as it's as much of it as it as it was before yeah so the three were immigration is one uh, abortion now abortion yep. you see a pretty you know sizable increase to like plus 20% for Democrats versus a plus, you know, it looks like a couple percentage points for Republicans. But then once again, it's a position that in general has been held pretty strongly. We actually talked about this. Part of the focus that the Republican Party has had is in overturning Roe v. Wade for a long time. So that's a, that was already really elevated. So I don't know if you could get more elevated than that. Maybe that's the reason why it hadn't increased much. And then the other one is guns. As you see an increase in guns uh, as a partisan issue, This is probably on both sides. sides, This is probably the only one that is closest in terms of an increase. But still, you're seeing maybe a 10 percent increase in partisanship versus a 20 percent increase in partisanship for Democrats, right? So that's one that they both both have increased.
1: And then that can be also uh, simplified by the 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 position that there should be never ever ever any kind of background check or government involvement in my purchase of a gun. That's increased at the same time that we should ban all guns has also increased. Right. Something exactly. Like
2: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So But it's increased a lot more in the case of banned yeah, guns. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, it has. Um I you know, I guess when I see this though, Charlie, the thing yeah. that I think about is um hearing this that the that the 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 the, the Democrat side has become more partisan. I guess I'd understand that in terms of net change. Um at the same time, you know, one of the things that we are going through right now is still what feels a Republican Party that's very much still, even though it's changing, controlled by whatever President Trump says or does. And that the base of that, the MAGA movement, is a pretty extreme version of even the Republican Party. And we know that's the case because Republicans themselves are pretty uncomfortable with it to begin with. Sure. So being that it's a party that's so controlled by the by the by this sort of smaller but very vocal, very powerful version of it. Doesn't that, I mean, without seeing this data, my response would have been the complete opposite. Like, it feels like the Republican Party is the more extreme version for that reason because there's such an outsized weight in terms of a person that literally dictates or feels like it's dictating the entire platform. I mean, at this point, Charlie, I was looking at data from, I don't know when they did this, it was sometime this year, you still have about 70% of Republicans don't believe that, that Biden was ever elected.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's cr- crazy, after all the law, all the failed lawsuits, right. everything has gone into it, you still have a president that's out there saying every single day that he that he actually won the election, caught on tape, asking for a specific number of votes in Georgia so they can get it his way. Right. Like all Find the stuff, that, votes. Yeah, yeah, all the stuff that has come up. And still to this date, you still have seven percent of Republicans thinking that that it was Trump who actually won the election. Doesn't that feel pretty extreme to you? Doesn't it does. feel
1: very partisan and like it does, but I think it it, it, it sort of so can to make, say that the other side it is can make more? the point like that's well, I think it saying like I, think that's can I, make, I think it I can make follow. the point that um, that sometimes the extreme elements that are minorities are minorities. Right? In other words, what this graph is looking to measure is not the net effect of individuals and movements within groups, but the aggregate groups. So I think that could yeah. be part of the explanation. That could be part of the explanation, but it but
2: because it, it dictates so much of how people vote, um, I mean, look, the reality is if President Trump decides to run again, what in spite ran? of all the stuff that, that has happened, there's a lot of people that they're still gonna vote for him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like the whole thing about like right. denying the ninth election, the whole thing of like really going out of his way trying to actually overturn it. Sure. Is it's not gonna matter at all. Right. So what, what what do we say because that's not just the extreme that is the extreme version but it is still pulling everyone yeah. else with it
1: but i think you have to kind of decouple like the the you know choosing of an actual individual over what this data is trying to in you know uh, identify which is ideology and issues or and positions around individual issues right because you could say i'm voting for Trump and not really uh change any position that you have on any of the things that we just talked about on this graph. The The more interesting thing to me is like, why have the positions on these things and, and why does it seem like there's this bigger kind of movement, you know, from people generally identified on the left to move farther left over that period of time. Some of it you could say is a response to Trump. Maybe because we see, you know, this graph goes up to 2017, that's a year, two years maybe of the Trump effect. Uh, uh, I'm sure a big part of that is that yeah, it's like it's I don't a want, reaction to yeah, yeah. I don't want to have anything to do with that because even if you go back to 2006, which is the graph right before it, it does. It's like people super neatly overlap. People super are
2: obsessed to not have him run again or have him be like in jail. They're they're obsessed. It's they're an obsessed. obsession. It's an it's obsession. obsession. It really is. It's, I always find it hilarious when I see the TikTok videos <laughs> of people which that one? created a bunch of them. Like. Right? There was a new one about some of the uh, – all of the classified documents that they found, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's – but it's, so it's, all, it's so interesting because in any other case, in any other case, if it was not a bizarre world that what was turned into, you would say, wait, you had a president that had hundreds of classified documents in his house that they lied about, that they, they didn't disclose, they didn't return even after being pushed, and then they're found, there's pictures of it, and still you have a whole other group that is like – we don't care about that. Yeah, it reminds me. Of it doesn't the, matter. Like that there was this
1: song. I don't remember like a hip hop song back in the day, and it was like it, it, the the refrain was "It wasn't me." It wasn't yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. You know, what I'm talking about it was literally that. I saw it's on it's on video. Wasn't me. I, I, you know, I have fourteen eyewitnesses. No, it wasn't me. It's like there, there's the ability when you get to a point of the kind of iconic stature, and I use that word in you know maybe advisedly, but in any case, of someone like Trump, that it's Like people can be told things and it won't necessarily affect what they feel because they view the alternative as being so much more destructive for everything else. Right. In other words, people who are in this moment think of, okay, if Trump runs, it's Trump or Biden. Right. Right. I can't choose Biden. Right. So the options are don't vote or vote for Trump. And I think there's a huge. Yeah, but that would con- make sense. Like I, I give you, you that. You don't think there's other people on the other side that say the exact same thing? No, no. It's hold like on. so, I give you that. I
2: the, have to vote for Biden. I, yeah. I give you that in the context of when he's running, when he was running, when he was trying to get reelected. I get it. Like even if you completely disagree with ninety percent of what he of what he does, there's a ten percent that you agree with, and you just think the other side is just way worse, right? But right now, when he already lost an election. He's not even a candidate to run. Now we think he's likely to run. Yeah, but there are other legitimate options that could actually represent the ticket that actually I think I think have probably a better shot of winning for sure. But that's a that's another but, question though. Wait, wait, wait. So to, see, to still have this this blind faith on this person and completely ignore everything and say nope, like this is no matter what what he does wrong or does or gets caught with, it really doesn't matter. Right? Like people just refuse to believe any of it. That is no longer a case of Trump versus Biden. But you would have then those people if that is the ticket, just not vote, right? People who can't no, no, vote no. for Biden. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that people that are are not right now. it's like? It's people like, should be advocating like on, on for daily, somebody other than Trump on a daily is what you're basis. <laughs> Seems like he's doing he's doing something get a
1: cough for something, and it literally doesn't matter to people. Right. It doesn't matter. They have such well, blind faith in it. I don't know that it doesn't matter. I think the question. It's like there's a very pragmatic streak in people that say. If he runs, he is going to be the nominee, and so my choices are binary. It's either Biden, if assuming he runs, and Trump. I think that people look at it that yeah, way. If he runs, it, what you're saying is people should be trying to get other people to run more than they are. People right. should be behind DeSantis even, or even Marco this, Rubio, or even whoever DeSantis, it is.
2: right for that for that matter. Like I'm not a huge fan of him, but he doesn't. He has his own set of issues, but he doesn't bring all this yeah, baggage. But come on, issues on a tiny scale. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So, so the fact that people are not like, okay we're over this person that has that did lose, right? Like, think about that, right? That already didn't get the popular vote twice, lost the popular vote, yeah. right? Lost election once, right? In the real election. Has been, like, caught red handed in a bunch of stuff that the average person, there's no way to survive
1: it. No I, way. I think that that idea of Trump derangement syndrome exists. It's a real thing, and it's in really in both parties. I yeah. really do believe that. Yeah, I can, I, there I are people that. who can look at something objectively wrong, objectively wrong. Suspicious, potentially criminal, and nevertheless think, yeah, but we got to fight the good fight, and this is it. Yeah, and yeah. then there's other people who are like, I don't care if he came out and said, you know what? But, but that's what I, that's I've the, thought about the last yeah. few years. I was wrong about the election. I was wrong about all this stuff. I lost fair and square. I've changed my entire view of the world, and I really want to just do this good stuff. Give me a chance. It doesn't matter what he would say. They'd be like, "You're insane. You're the Antichrist. You know, Orange Monster. Bad." Like it. There's, there's a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. It's, it's like a ideological possession. But, but this is, goes back to what we're talking about. This is not about
2: who you vote for. It's who you're voting against. And there's the the important point. Because that's what it is. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what crimes he does or doesn't do. What he's caught for or not being caught for is that, as long as he is the one that's going to fight the other side, that's all people care about. There was an interesting Pew study uh, that came out, uh, what was this, August, uh, pretty recently, August mm-hmm. 13th, 2022. Just right? so last month. Just last month. And it talked about, and it actually looked at, what was the share of both Republican and Democrats, how they say they felt about members of the other party related mm. to other, to different topics. So I thought it was really interesting in terms of polarization, right? So this is what, so in this case, what Republicans say Democrats are more, right, if they're more closed-minded. Right? So in 2016, 70% of Republicans, I'm sorry, 52%, I was giving you the wrong, the wrong stat, 52% of Republicans saying that Democrats are very close-minded in 2016. Uh-huh. And that jumped up from 52 to 69% by 2022. For Democrats, same question, right? They said that Republicans were more close-minded. In 2016, it was 70%, they were saying was saying this, and now it's ninety eight. And jumps up to eighty three. The fact Gross. that it's not ninety eight it's, <laughs> it's amazing, right? So that was interesting. But even that, but even that Jesus, the change
1: between those two is greater.
2: Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh well, no. It's no? actually less, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 13, 13 points uh, increase from Democrats saying that from 70 to 83. Uh-huh. And then it is uh, uh, 15 points, um, no, 16 points from from uh, Republicans saying that between uh, the Democrats are more close
1: That's what I mean, though. But even, uh, that's what I'm saying, that says that there's been more change in the Democrats than there has been the Democrats no, saying the, there's been more change in the Republicans.
2: The, the opposite, right? In this case, Republicans saying more about that, more about Democrats, even though the number is still lower, right? So went from 52% to 69%. right right? That's what Republicans are saying. 17 points. Right. Versus 13 points.
1: Versus 13 points of Democrats saying Republicans have have changed.
2: Yeah. The Republicans are more close-minded. Yeah.
1: No, I know. But that's, uh, there's more change. In other words, the Republicans are saying the Democrats were close-minded to this degree and now they're this degree close-minded. Right. And the the Democrats are the same thing. The Republicans were this. Yeah. Right. The change of those two is greater for the in the per, by the perspective of the of the Republicans of the Democrats, the, the Republicans. Oh the, yeah, yeah, but that's
2: yeah. I, that's I, I, I know it's self-reported or whatever. Yeah, but, but this is more like what they believe the other group is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with dishonest, right? For Republicans, it went from saying this about Democrats from forty-five to seventy-two percent, and then for Democrats, saying from forty-two percent to sixty-four percent. Immoral is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for for Republicans saying this from 47 to 72 and Democrats 35 to 63. I mean, basically across every single sector, massive increase in a negative view, a much more negative view. Assuming the worst of the other. Assuming the worst of the other. Yeah. Across the category that they measure, close-minded, dishonest, immoral, unintelligent, lazy. All of these are, no, what was interesting is the one that, of which Democrats haven't changed that much about it, in their view, Republicans are actually lazy, right? So they had they said 18% were 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 uh, were saying that Republicans were were lazy, and that changed to twenty-six percent from eighteen to twenty-six. And then for Republicans saying this about Democrats, it went from forty-six percent in twenty sixteen to sixty-two
1: percent. <laughs> so but there but there is a serious thing about this, right? Uh-huh? Which is that we are increasingly dehumanizing one yeah. another. Yeah, for sure. Increasingly assuming the worst of one another. Mm-hmm. As, uh, as, associating negative intent to things more often than not. yeah. And then you lay that in with this graph, which I really want to just describe for a second here. The second graph in this article, which is literally a visualization of the polarization. That's, mm-hmm. that, that's how I would describe it. When you add all these things together, and the graph actually shows the median score of both Republicans and Democrats in terms of their political attitude or their party leaning, the intensity of that party leaning. What you have today versus uh, 1994 is something like a factor of, I don't know, I'm just eyeballing it, six or seven times the distance between yeah. the means. Yeah, And you have this erosion of what you know. I look at is the overlap between those two mountains, which I would call like the sort of reasonable middle, right? That's been eroded. And so when you take all these ingredients together, Jesus, thinking less about the other person, dehumanizing, mm. et cetera, increasing distance from one another, right. less overlap with one another, yep. increasing geographic polarization, I mean, like this is something in a history book. A thousand years from now, goes like, "Oh yeah, that's when that civil war happened in the twenty, you know, thirty or whatever." I mean, those are not good. They're not good. But I, I
2: think the way to solve for it is you need a third and fourth party.
1: Well, I look, I, that's, I, I that's that's
2: part of it. I mean, I think, the, putting people in two camps is just like, you know, the worst of
1: things kind of end up bubbling up. Look, I, I, uh, you know. I, We talk about Elon Musk a lot, but I have to give him a lot of credit for what he said about Trump recently. And he says, like, man, just go off into the sunset and go do your thing. You know what I mean? You said this a while ago that the way forward meant that Trump had to recede. In other words, he has to decrease. No matter what you think, you can love every conservative principle on the planet. He has got to recede. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. That's a step forward. However, I got to look at this because the data in 2017 is already at this stage, that I think Trump was like sugar to a cancer that was already there, that started sometime before, that's now just been accelerated. So I do think that that is the first step. I don't think he should run. And I think that we should get, I think Biden is maybe the worst president in my lifetime, maybe further back. (laughs) But But at the same time, like, uh, I want to go back to looking at presidents as like, oh, isn't that it's nice? They're like, that's our guy. Like, it's okay. You know what I mean? Right, right, And in order to do that, we have to take something out of the equation. And Trump is the factor. Yeah. Because even what you said earlier about like the, you know, vote for or against, you're right. And Trump's making it about him, of course. But now so is Biden. Biden is which now is, making it about him. And guess what his poll great, numbers have done? great strategy. What it's have his poll great. numbers done? They've gone up. They've gone up. All he does is win. We talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> he went from 36 to 42. That's a big move.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: In like just a little bit.
2: Yeah, no. From changing his tune.
1: I, and I think, you know, you and I had talked
2: about theories as to why he was pulling so poorly before, besides all the issues, of course, that are happening, like in the in uh, economy, et cetera. Was that one of the theories that I had was that he was um, the, the movement to try to be a bridge between the parties was making him come off as being more, like weak. In many cases, that a doesn't appeal to neither Republicans or Democrats, right? Doesn't appeal to Republicans for all the reasons we already know. Are like oh, I don't want that guy. Like, that guy's terrible. He's the worst president. And the Democrats were like, dude, you're not, you're not, fighting the fight anymore. Like, you're letting these all these guys like run over. I you. know. And you've seen a change. You've seen a change in the attitudes. A, they've gotten some wins. That always helps with the, you know, you walk around with the head a little higher up. But the messaging, and it's not like, you know, he talks about now like the soul of, uh, of America and, and going after this extreme MAGA group that is, you know, trying to, to, to tear the country apart. You've also seen in like on day-to-day, uh, is that Milo snoring?
1: <laughs> the dog is snoring. That's great. <laughs> uh, and also he, we just got a, uh, uh, an Amber Alert for conserve energy now to protect public health and safety from the state of California. Too many Tesla's plugged in. So the grid is about to collapse. Uh, the, the thing I was going to say is that you're also seeing a pretty like change in tune
2: in the social media presence of of uh, the White House. Have you
1: seen this? No. Tell me. So
2: for everyone that has been, um, particularly cons- uh, Republican uh, senators and and um, uh, Congress members that have been complaining about forgive the, the student loan forgiveness, their response to everyone that complained about student loan forgiveness is 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 saying exactly how much loan forgiveness that senator has gotten. <laughs> The PPP, like ppp loans nice and i think is is brilliant but it is a very much more combative super kind of stance and i think that stuff is working for them
1: yeah it's well, working
2: for it. i think people want that
1: but should politics be a friggin you know social media metric because we've known that the more it's just gnarly and corrosive the headline and the more purient, the more clicks it gets but like should that be our politics I don't think it, sh- it should. I agree with
2: you, but I, that's why I go back to what we had talked about. I think you need to have Trump like stand down. I mean, personally, I think the best thing that can happen, I keep on saying the same thing, the best thing that can happen to Biden is for Trump to run. Like, I, hope he run. I really do hope he I runs. I think
1: he's egging him
2: on to run. Yeah, at this point, they're all egging him on to run. It's that scene like,
1: from A Few Good Men, dude. It's like, I want to say it. He wants to say it. You yeah, know what it's I mean? that's exactly it's like, what it
2: is. But You it, need it, me on that wall. It's not good for our political uh, health as a country. It just isn't because it, our health, it, health—it's it, just—it's just, just going to continue to have this very overly elevated, um, like, uh, yeah, like really overly elevated politicization of everything that that we do, and I think that's not good for for the country. Now, I think part of it could start getting solved. For I do think we need more more political parties, man. Like having two is just not enough. Mm. It's not enough. I think it gets you get voices that get drowned out and or get overly elevated. Without having two two parties, because you kind of have to pick one side or the and other. That's the dynamic that I mentioned and, earlier. And that's and that's I think a big
1: problem Where, we have. Okay, so but if you if if I don't know if you agree with me, but okay. let's take it for a second. If the thesis is this polarization was dramatically accelerated like a metastasis with Trump, mm-hmm. but it is not the cause of what. What do you think? Is there one? Is it a thousand things that have caused that th- this wedge? When you look at these graphs, yeah. go back to 1994. I mean, this is not that long ago. Or even 2006, the other graph. I mean, we're talking about 15 years ago, 17 years ago. That looked like a cohesive thing. Yes, there were
2: at the extremes. There was like... I think. Don't you think you have to look at the role that social media has played in all of this? I think you have to as well. You have to. I mean, this is the whole idea of... Elevating echo chambers of continue to like have the messaging be much more efficient at getting out to everyone that is in that little group. Continue to rile people up. Yeah, when you're when you're optimizing for engagement, and you know things that make you angry, you engage with more than things that make you happy. Then the reality is though. That starts to move in that direction more and more.
1: The reality the messaging
2: for political organizations, from parties, from like campaigns, like it just becomes more about the attack, I think.
1: Think about what social does too, you know, from this standpoint, is it presents a very unidimensional view of other human beings in a way, right? Because it's like if you're doing a tweet or putting something on Instagram or Facebook, you're representing that as the position, the totality of the position. You're not inviting somebody to read a book. This isn't a book, right. this isn't a conversation, this is like a moment in time. And if that is the totality, like I can become very binary against that or for that, like in a super aggressive way, like, yeah, right on, or, oh my gosh, are you crazy? Right. And like, now imagine that multiplied a trillion times every second, right? Yeah, yeah. And the net effect is so powerful. The, the funny thing about what you just said, too, is I'm looking at this graph, mm-hmm. this is 2006 right? iPhone is 2007. Now we don't have the graph for two thousand seven, eight, nine, 8, 9, or 10, but we have 2006 and then 2017, I'm sorry, 2004 and 2017. Uh But like, I wonder if this starts to move apart, like right around that time, because not just social. I think social was part of it. I think mobile was the other part of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the ability to have it with you all the time. It's like inundated with information all the time. And yeah, you can see how that happens. And that starts going downhill, right? Um, and then you see the emergence of much more politicized news operations as well. Yeah. Right? People started to get really, you know, realizing that the more of a p- opinion you have, the better it did. And say, it started moving away from, like, the facts necessarily to more, like, the opinion, the take.
1: So that, uh, I think that all continues to add to it. Do you think that Obama's kind of coalition of the ascendant had any part to plan this? The whole idea of, like, I see these different groups and I see them being powerful together— But I also need them to kind of be their own group. In other words, I don't want like some some like mushy definition of my constituencies. I want blacks to vote for me, Latinos to vote for me, I want LGBTQ people to vote for me. And like just by naming them, it kind of can balkanize a little bit. Do you see any of that being part of this? I don't know, man. It's I mean, it's hard to say
2: that Obama didn't play a role because Trump is a result of Obama. Let's be honest. Like it's you know, with all these presidencies, I think you have this the pendulum that continues to swing back and forth, right? And people react one way or the other. Uh, the first of that reaction is usually the midterms, right? And not how the Senate and the House does relative to their response to that, whatever the the uh, the the president is actually doing, right? So, so there's some of that. I I do think that the so so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer your question. I think maybe. I mean, I think that's this probably true. That now the the part where we do get caught up a lot on the growth of diverse voting for Republicans, especially that Trump was able to bring on, I I do think that when you say it in that manner, it under uh, underscores what was probably naturally going to happen because it was such a. A a calling, I think, for a lot of diverse people to want to vote for Obama, being that he was the first African-American president, then the moment he wasn't in the the mix anymore, that you're going to have some of this kind of go back a little bit more to where they would normally be, Mm -hmm. combined with a candidate that was probably one of the least popular, least liked candidates that that we probably had in a very long time. I think that was gonna. That meant that you were gonna have more African Americans going back to being Republican, more Latinos also going back to being Republican, or the people that were already kind of turning that direction. That combined with the changes in immigration patterns that we've talked about, right? You have more people that are born here, and therefore, the longer they're here, the more they tend to kind of operate and and vote as as the rest of of Americans. So I think those that combination was kind of meant to happen, but I don't know. I don't know this um, whether how much you could attribute that what has happened to his his efforts directly. I do think that when you think about his presidency, there's a lot of it, while we always tend to think very fondly of presidents, I think over time, most of them, I mean, there's very few that you don't. I think was a lot left to be desired, desired by Obama and how much he actually was able to get done. Mm. Uh, and I think some of that goes to this brand that Democrats have had of... Asking a lot for permission, not having the same kind of attitude, the same kind of swagger that we, you know, that
1: Republicans have had for a long time. Like, they don't care. Like, our agenda is our agenda. Like, good luck. I think it's an interesting point to think that nostalgia for the presidency probably ended with Obama. Like, I, I can imagine people being nostalgic about almost any president in some way, but there was something that happened around that time where it began to get, like, people into camps. Look, I voted. I, I think part of it, though, mm. by the way, is social media as well. It was easier to forget the things that they did wrong.
2: It true, just is true because you saw it mostly on television. Maybe you read about it in a newspaper, right? Or
1: somebody at work. It's or harder whatever. to
2: remember it to remind you of that stuff. And and but with people that are more recent, like that stuff that happened that got shared on social gets reshared gets re. Yeah, you can you, can you share some historically? Yeah, you can, but it doesn't have the same the kind same of effect. effect. It doesn't have the same kind of
1: effect. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I voted for Obama in 2008. I mean, I was caught up in a lot of that same stuff. I was like, I thought it was really cool. I liked the way that he talked. He just seemed like a fresh voice. And now, he obviously, he changed a lot of his policy positions. That had he done that before, maybe I wouldn't have felt the same right. way. But nevertheless, I remember voting for him. But then something around the beginning of his second term where I was like, you know, I, I kind of didn't like the way that things looked like they were shaping up. And I just didn't remember them. With like, I mean, again, this is- what, go-
2: what was, yeah, I'm curious. What were some of the things that, that caught your attention with him well, that
1: felt different? From, well, from a policy, well, there's some policy things that, that that changed, but I think it was the way that his presidency was positioned from the outset on the, the initial election run to the, to the re-election run, right? The re-election run, he had promised a lot of things, right? There was a lot of this sense of unity, a lot of sense of hope, a lot of sense of mm-hmm. those things which at that time were very attractive, like very attractive kind of messaging. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at it in 2012, I, I didn't feel that I saw a lot of that in practice. And it felt more like, you know, you're in my camp or you're not in my camp, right? And there's certain things that, you know, maybe added or, or or didn't help him in that regard as I look back. But that's the sense that I got. It was a sense that in the beginning, you know, it was kind of like going to the original point. In the beginning, I felt like I was voting for something, and then in the when he did his re-election campaign, I, th- I felt like I had to pick a side and vote sort of against something potentially. I don't know. It, just, it didn't feel right. as unified. That's the sense that I have um, yeah. looking back. And now it's been, you know, 10 years plus since that campaign. So I can't recall exactly the reasons, but that's just the sense that I got. And since then, it's been, you know, I mean, since 2015, man, that ride down the escalator and it was like just grenades and bombs and everything in every direction. And it was like... I mean, obviously it worked, but I think it's also taught, you know, uh, the politicians a very important and regrettable lesson that this stuff actually does work. I think about this, like when Biden, assume it's Biden and Trump and they have a debate. Mm -hmm. What I would really hope, and I know he's not going to do it, but what I really hope is that Biden would turn and say, listen, let's bury the hatchet here because we've got a bigger thing to do. And that's the country and literally walk over the stage and put his hand out and say, can we just be friends, even if we don't agree with stuff? I mean, it would be mind blowing for a guy like me to see that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I know it's not going to happen because if it did happen, all those same forces that you just talked about, about like, dude, you're not tough enough. You're not this. You're not that. They would lose their marbles if that actually happened. Of course. yeah. But that is the right thing to do. And it's just not going to happen. And it's regrettable to be able to say that even though it hasn't happened. Like I'm reading the future. It's not going to happen.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's not, because I think it it goes back to what people, I mean, part of the itch that Trump was able to scratch is this idea that we wanted to have someone to go in and really be a bulldog. It was was less about the political niceties. It wasn't about the political niceties. It was the opposite, is we want someone that's going to fight for us, no matter what, that is not going to get caught up in all the politics and the shaking hands and all the other things that maybe seem like nice things to do, but at the end of the day, you know, these are politicians Politicians still being politicians. And him coming in with uh, making fun of people's wives, making fun of them, like just no holds barred. I think people really resonated with that. Yeah. It's not a good thing. It's not. It's not a good thing. Uh, but, but that's. I think that was a big part of his draw.
1: But I also think that people were responding, not just the niceties of politics. I think that's maybe part of it, maybe on the margins. I think most of it was... The gridlock, the inability to seem like things at all could ever work, like nothing can move forward. We talk about all these things and nothing ever happens. And it was that, the sense of like, pen up, you've been hearing these people talk about this crap for 40 years. When are you going to figure it out? Look at what he said to the black community. The people like mocked him and everything, and rightfully so in many cases, but he actually made gains with the African-American community by doing what? By saying, what do you have to lose? Like, look look at what you have right now. These people have been promising you stuff forever uh, and you've got nothing. Right. What do you have to lose? I mean, it's like that, whatever that right. is, the essence of that is yeah. also well, something well, that was the,
2: Also the one that said that he's done more for religion than maybe except for
1: Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and Abraham Lincoln for, for, for the black people. That was the other one <laughs> The too. quotes from this dude are I know, just, just, m- just great. Z- they're magic. just, it's like yeah, a comic strip. they're just
2: great. I mean, but the, but the challenge with all this is the reaction to the gridlock, the reaction that we're not doing enough is actually more politicization, but only creates more gridlock. Yeah. I mean, right now, think about all the stuff that we've been, you know, that Biden has celebrated that he's doing in the past. You know, a lot of it is, almost all of it, with no Republican support. Except maybe except for change for gun reform. Gun reform and, was no partisan.
1: And then the the, the the thing just now, just recently with the, what was it? The, oh, the, yeah, the, 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 the climate the climate yeah. bill.
2: Yeah, with a little bit of uh, Republican support, right? But for the most part, I mean, that's a rarity. Mm hmm. It's a rarity with with all of this, and I think that's the the reality that we're in right now. And I think that's the part that, if there's anything that that gives me that makes me more pessimistic, is actually not so much the the Trump versus Biden or any of that. Is is that is the our political system the way that it was built right now, I think makes it really hard for us to be able to move forward in action, because there isn't a lot
1: of incentives to actually do that. There's more incentives to fight against the other side than to to try to move move things forward. I'm just worried that the chip has changed altogether, though, and it's hard to actually raise up a new politician with the idea that you don't have to dehumanize the other side in order to win. Because right now, the data indicates that that really works well. But it works well for a time, I'm telling you. If you look at these graphs, if these things keep moving farther apart, and that middle gets chiseled away, it's not good. I mean, this is not going in a direction—I'm not talking about, oh, we're going to have a president we don't like— I mean, like people getting nuts and doing crazy stuff.
2: Yeah, it, it is interesting. These more extreme positions—whether long-term, they actually work. I mean, I think we're going to see this real time with, uh, as it relates to, of course, whether or not Trump decides to run. But even some of the the candidates that he's directly supporting, supporting having the yeah. more extreme position, does that help them or not? Um, right. You know, uh uh what's the name? Uh Palin just uh just lost, right? Uh very recently in uh, yeah. in Alaska. Was that for a governor or what was that for? I don't I don't know. I
1: could look it up. Yeah, I have no yeah, idea. yeah.
2: But yeah, these these more extreme positions that yeah, I'm curious to see how that stuff all pans and out. And it's
1: not even the extreme position, it's the way that you run, it's the marketing around the position. That's what I'm talking about. I mean the policies, who really knows the intricacies of the policies of taxation of either party? Very few people. But I'm talking about the way that you present this stuff. It's like these guys are wrong, evil, whatever. I mean, both of these guys, Trump just recently, we have it in our newsletter, I think, or one of them that's coming out. I forget which one it is. But the fact that he called Biden an enemy of of, uh, an enemy of the state, you know, and that's very similar language that's been used about Trump, obviously. Right. So it's like both sides. And you could say, well, it's justified in the case of Trump or whatever. But my point is they're kind of using the same playbook Mm -hmm. in a way. You know what I mean? And that's the part that really worries me as we kind of move forward. I, I look at this graph and I, I, I take a real deep breath, man, because that is a lot of change very fast among a lot of people. You have almost four, what, 350 million people living here mm-hmm. and you have that kind of change in two decades. Yeah. That yeah. is uh, that is pretty big. Um, Alaska House race. That's all that I know for Sarah Palin. Mm, okay. uh, congressional seat. Yeah, yeah. so okay. she, lost, she lost that one. So um, anyway, we'll, we'll include a link f- to this article. It's definitely worth reading for people to get a, a look at this thing. But any kind of like, I mean, I'm being serious. Any kind of like advice to people as they think about about this? I've got some, but um, just like this whole dynamic. Like, what would you tell, what do you tell your daughter? What do you tell your family, your relatives or somebody who's like, hey, I don't know anything about politics. Tell me about it. How should I feel? Like, well, what advice would you give them?
2: Yeah. Oh well. The 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 main thing um, I I tell my daughter, uh, and I've I've used this advice multiple times with her is like to not be afraid to ask questions. Like it's okay. Like not take things at face value. Mm. Um, ask a lot of questions. It was so interesting. We were listening to a. It was a great podcast. It's a podcast. Free plug. A plug right now, which is uh, called Stories Podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. It's great. They they basically take like fables and other kind of stories and then kind of redo them. Right. Uh, but they're great. The stories that they do. There was a story about this um, this uh, family recipe that uh, this this dad was showing this young girl how to do. And I forget, I forgot. Oh, it was uh, like it was a tri, it was some kind of beef, a tri tip, or it was one of those, right? And the daughter was super excited about the the recipe that they did. It was great. Uh, but she asked a question, which is like, why is it before that you cook it that you
1: cut both ends of the meat? Like oh, and this is like good the, meat. Like why? The like, holiday wh- ham story. I used to tell this story all the time. Um, you don't remember this? I used to tell this story no, to my salespeople. Remember. Oh, yeah. No. Go and, ahead, and, it. and
2: yeah, so she asked the question, why do you um why do you why do you cut the ends of the, of the meat? And he was like, you know what? I'm not sure, but it's a family recipe. So um maybe we should ask my mom. So they go and they ask, you know, the, the mom, the grandma, send her the same thing. So the the, the grandma said, like, Oh, I'm so glad that you, you know have the recipe. by the way, make sure no one else gets it because a family, you know, it's a family recipe and ask the same thing like, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know. I, mean, I always thought it was part of the recipe. My mom, now her great-grandmother, was the one that actually uh, had given her the recipe to begin with, and she always thought it was just part of the recipe. So the, one of the things that was shocking thing to me, was that like, wait, your great-grandmother's still alive? That's awesome. <laughs> like, when does people have kids, you know? So this little girl goes to like a- great-grandma. Uh, yeah, goes and visits the great-grandma and then tells her that, like, oh, we recently had your, your, uh, your recipe of the, I'm going to call it tip because I forgot what, what the kind of It was meal. a ham. It this it was a little different. It wasn't a ham, but oh, something okay. else. It was some kind of beef. I know, I know that. But anyways, ham, whatever it is, right? And then she tells like, "Oh, that's awesome. Da, da, da. I'm glad you guys are doing it." It's like, "Yeah, but I have a I have a, qu- a question, great great grandma, which is why do we cut the like the ends of the meat? It feels like we're throwing away good meat. Like that doesn't make sense to me." And the great grandma starts laughing. She's like, "Wait, what? You're cutting the ends of the meat?" He's like. Listen, the only reason we did that is because when I was growing up and when, when I made up this recipe, my oven was really small and we had a small like, pan where I could put the meat in. So we had to cut enough for
1: it to fit. To fit. Yeah. And
2: it was such a great story. I never heard uh, yeah, maybe Maybe this, you said it. Yeah. yeah. I just forgot. Um, and I told my daughter that. I'm like, listen, Tassiana, that's such a perfect story of like question, like feeling comfortable questioning assumptions. And it's, and it's and like, this it sounds like a silly story that just came up, but it happens all the time. More like we people say things and we take it for as all as truth that we don't question things so this idea of actually questioning everything i think is really important and we shouldn't take anything at face value even if it comes from someone within your own party affiliation identity that you see yourself as part of i think the more that we are willing to question ourselves and question our ideas i also think that that questioning and the second thing is like being comfortable with changing your mind like i actually like changing my mind like there's people that are like really hung up on that. That are like, oh, well, this is my stance and I have to like, why? Like, why would I ignore new information and change my perspective on something if it's like, well, I didn't know that before. So now that I do, like,
1: okay. Yeah, it's because you have to admit I'm, I'm you're okay. wrong. You were wrong. You have to yeah, admit there's guess, a level of like, humility required in that. That's why.
2: Yeah, I, I guess. But I guess I value more learning more than
1: being of right. Course. And I think that's the, maybe the other thing I would, I would tell people. Yeah. The holiday ham story I used to tell all the time, because I used to say like, in my story, it was a holiday ham. I used to say like, mm-hmm. that sounds like a holiday ham, you know, which is like, we've always done it this way. Yeah, I know. But why have you right. always done it that <laughs> right. way? Because the circumstances may have changed and that's really good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I think, um, the only thing I would add is that, you know, we need, um, the the way that i would put it is just in general more creativity and less innovation i think everybody's got to put their phones down number 1 and mm-hmm. just start talking to people and interacting because what you'll find is when you get into in a room with somebody there it's actually not that bad even with people that you don't agree with and it requires like you know a little bit of discipline to be able to put yourself out there and interact with ideas that you know are not necessarily the way that you were brought up And that takes a bit of courage, but I think it's important to do very often, more so now than ever. And the reason I say more creativity, less innovation is because I was talking to somebody recently about this, you know, like back in the day, without the screens, you had a lot more time. Days were longer, right? Mm -hmm. Just, it's just more longer. It's like, I was watching this documentary on Thomas Edison and the dude was, first of all, got kicked out of school. He like didn't have anything to do all day. So he started like inventing stuff just because the brain wants to invent, (laughs) wants to do different things, right? And I, I explained this to, 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 um, one of my kids and I was like, you know, back in the day you would sit down at the dinner table and go, what's a, you know, what's a better way to eat this? So you'd invent the fork, you know, a utensil mm-hmm. that has whatever innovation is now saying, Oh, well I can add like another tine to it, or I can make it a different material, or I can make it more efficient, lighter, faster, whatever. We have a lot of that. We have very little creativity and what we need right now in politics and in other areas is more creativity. And mm. challenging the systems and asking questions is part of that, so that you can develop those things. Right. But my advice, to everybody, is put your phone down. That's my number one advice across the board. I think it could help us here. So that's what I've got. You want to go to courage or cringe? Do you sure. have one, or are you? I, I do. I do on the fly.
2: I'm gonna. I have one on the fly, and I'm stealing one from our new uh, social media manager. Beautiful, Paulina. That's I'm Paulina. Sweet. She just recommended a number of different topics. One that I thought was really interesting that she brought up is uh, so DC Comics uh, just put out their like cover art for some of the new uh, um, comic books in, in, in part in preparation to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. So, first of all, you know, you and I kind of joke about this. Anytime you do things that is only for Hispanic Heritage Month, is usually not going to be a winning strategy. It's a warning sign. But Mm. it's a warning sign. But what they decided to do specifically was to, you know, Latinoize them a little bit. Right. And they did this by having characters um, basically featured, like characters from their comic books featured in, in scenes where they were all consuming different types of Latino food, mm. right? Tamales, they were having, I don't know, tostol, I don't know what they were having. Like, it. it was it's all great. that,
1: right? Um, tajin on everything. Yeah, tajin
2: on everything. It was just, and of course they got called out. It was like, hey, we're more than just
1: our food. Yeah, uh, it was a like great a, piece. It was like actually, a breakfast burrito moment. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> I'm going to, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month, I think I'm going to get a chimichanga. I'm going to get a chimichanga. That's what I'm going to do. You know, and there is like no deafness to it whatsoever. Yeah. Right now, I think that's part of the, you know, it's like there's good intent and wanting to celebrate the culture. I get it, and food is part of our culture, of course. But if we could use food as a way in to share the culture, awesome. Yeah, then that's let's not do that. The story, but that's not the story. Yeah. It's like, oh, I happen to be, you know, I'm the superhero. I happen to be in the Bronx, or not even the Bronx. I, I don't. Even, I'm trying to think of more. Hialeah. Yeah, whatever <laughs> may be the case, right? Yeah. And um. You know, I'm running into this Latino family, whatever, and, and getting food, right? Like, and when it stops at just the food, it comes, it stops at just that transaction. Then it's, I think, it actually undermines the message that you're trying to deliver, mm. right? And and it's a kind of s- scenario where it is uh, sad that this day and age we're still at that level. In many cases, that we're only thought of in that in that way. You have seen this rise of representation and this effort, definitely a, a representation. You're seeing that in the new uh the new movie that is coming out. Uh what is it? oh the which one is it? the the character Neymar? Is that Black Adam? No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's uh on Black Panther 2. Oh yeah, Wakanda Forever. Yeah, Wakanda Forever. One of like the one of the main uh character that's coming out is um Mexican actor, I'm blanking on the guy's name Can right we, now. Denoch so... Huerta, is his name. Yeah. So he's coming out. He's going to be a character called yeah. Neymar. They just
1: reached his publicists just reached out to us to That's right. Yeah, show.
2: that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so, trying to organize so that. you're seeing some increase representation. You yeah. know, you saw some of that as well uh, in the last um, Doctor Strange movie, where they had a uh, uh, Chavez. Uh, What's her name? I don't know. You're talking America about Chavez, the, America the multiverse Chavez. one. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, America Chavez. I think is her name, right? Yeah. So you're seeing some of that, but I think in general, in the piece that we're that we're going to share as part of our newsletter, you're you're still seeing many of the representation, like sort of just at the very surface level, all be about stereotypes, not really give people depthness. Uh, but anyway, I think DC was a little bit of a swinging a mess here, and and keeping it that sort of the very transactional, just about food.
1: So you're, that's a cringe, then. It's a cringe. Yes. All right, I've got. I'm going to match you then with another cringe today. You Gotta, you gotta get you more more
2: courage Charlie. I'm you're you, you're it's, it's so much Mr. Easier. Negative.
1: No, it's not. It's not negative. It's fun. It's funny. Um, so I just texted you because I want you to look at this as I talk about it. Okay. Ah, okay. Cool. So you got to look at this. So this is now a couple of weeks ago, but I had to talk about it. do you, you, you know Fashion Week, like in Paris, and all the runway shows and all of that. So every year, uh-huh. the, the big houses of fashion, right, get uh-huh. together and they come out with their, their new lines and whatever. And one of the hottest brands right now is Balenciaga, right? Which is amazing to me that you can just basically design anything and put Balenciaga, literally right in like Sans Serif font the name of your brand and it sells, right? So anyway, they came out with a new item uh-huh. which i think is like the epitome of why are you know it's a, it's an emblem of some of the worst parts of our culture but <laughs> the beginning of the end it's the beginning of the end i'm not kidding you so what they came out with was and i'm reading it right from the balenciaga website it is called trash bag large pouch and it is literally you have to click on the click on the white version of it too cuz it it's literally a garbage bag that you put in your kitchen with the little red drawstrings. Do you see the white one I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, It is literally that, but it's Balenciaga branded. I'm sure it's made out of leather. It's a calfskin and whatever. And I'm sure it's expertly appointed, right? But this garbage bag, and it is a garbage bag. I'm not just being like, it, they call it trash bag. Sells for $1,800. But the, One garbage <laughs> bag sells for $1,800. But okay. Charlie,
2: like- is this is the intent for this to be used as a, as a garbage bag no. or to be well, used
1: as a like as a as a kind of bag that just happened to be? Look I am like sure a, like the there will bag. be some you know lunatic who will use this as a garbage bag to show the degree of decadence that is possible in the world. But I doubt amazing. it's used for that. That is it's, amazing. I'm sure it's used as like your tote that happens to look like a garbage bag.
0: But it oh, reminded
1: yeah. me. I mean, it's hard to imagine that in 2022 I would look back at a movie like Zoolander and say that this thing is no longer camp. This movie is not camp; it is prophetic. There was a scene in that movie. Do you remember that movie?
2: I do. Yeah. Remember the
1: movie at the the very end, the fashion line that Mugatu, this crazy Mm -hmm. guy, his line was called Derelict, and it was literally making fun of the homeless and everything, and using their their fashions basically as like you know the runway styles. It was like some guy in some disheveled thing with like broken shoes, and they're like, "This is the hottest thing." it's so hot. It's so hot. It is literally what we have today. And the, and a lot of this is tongue in cheek. I'm definitely a cringe on it just cause I think it's ridiculous. But yeah. the part that's more serious about this is the stuff that is like, you know, the, the, the elements that are tragic about some of, some of, uh, you know, culture and especially like things that impact, um, communities of color, et cetera, has now been like accelerated to the level of hipness, right? I, I saw a billboard for, um, for this one show, and I haven't seen the show, so this is terrible to say. Uh-huh. But it's called This Fool. Have you seen this? These yeah, billboards? I, I watched it. I watched did it, you watch the show? I did. Tell yeah. me about it.
2: I I I don't know if it moves the <laughs> the cause forward or backwards. Okay, well, that's the impression
1: I got from the billboard.
2: Yeah, it it was. Look, on the one hand, I want to be very supportive of Latino creators. Sure, this of is course. a Latino comedian that came up with this concept, and I watched the whole thing. There's parts of it that are very funny, but. I cringe so many times watching that show because I could only imagine someone that is not of the culture seeing this. Like, oh yeah, see, like that's exactly the case. Exactly what I'm saying. Like exactly the case. Exactly what it was. You know, it like hits every single stereotype possible. Every every episode, I'm like, man, uh, we we either took ten steps forward or thirty steps back,
1: and it was like every episode was like that. Well, every episode was like that. So now I don't have to watch it, but uh, thank you for the review. So, by the way, (laughs) Balenciaga,
2: you know, there's like a whole movement on man. Another thing I can describe is as men purses. I don't know if there's another way to call them. Uh, and and part of what I find kind of hilarious is that things that were super uncool how somehow now become cool again. For example, the fanny pack fanny action. Pack. There's not just the fanny pack, but people took the same fanny pack and I'm like, oh, just put it over your shoulder. Same fanny pack. they like, oh, now it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, I gonna charge you two grand for it because it's the same fanny pack, but not because
1: you put it over your shoulder. Ah, that's different. The other related story. So I just texted you this one too. Also, Balenciaga is Kim Kardashian basically stepped onto the you know fashion the the fashion week and like this these runway shows in Balenciaga duct tape from ankle to neck, literally just duct tape wrapped around her entire body with Balenciaga logos all over it. She could barely walk, and every every everywhere she walked, it squeaked. It was like. Uh. <laughs> Right. So I just, uh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I just don't know what else to say besides cringe. So I think it's awesome. That's me. So you like it. You're <laughs> a courage on the garbage bag. His hiss. hiss. <laughs> All right. It's just, yeah. I'm not going to put I, you on I, the spot. I don't time. even know what to, what to react to. <laughs>
2: it's so ridiculous that you're like, wait, wait, what? I know. That's I know. cool. Yeah. But the, I think the the reference though, to, uh, to the movie, it's a great one. Yeah. Agreed. Bizarre world. Zoolander.
1: It's worth a rewatch. All right, my friend. Anything else? No, that's it. All right, everybody. Remember to continue to please live a life unsiloed. Bye.